Okay, let's look at our scripture that can be found on the back page as we continue to go through Galatians 4.21 through 5.1. This is Paul as he continues his argument of salvation by grace alone to the Galatian church. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according to the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. Thank you, Jarvis. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the, with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The word of the Lord. Here's a quote by the famous French philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Man is born free and everywhere is in chains. What was Rousseau speaking of during this Enlightenment period? What he was saying was that man was born to be free, but the various co uh, social constructs of government and the caste system and the king, basically any form of uh, authority or hierarchy was enslaving people. Now to be fair, Rousseau said that there should be a government but by the consent of the governed. But his message of the importance of autonomy took fire in the French Revolution and continues to reverberate throughout the Western world today. There is a sense in the American psyche, or in anyone for that matter, that man is born to be autonomous, that to be under anyone is to be in slavery. And it is only when we are free of any hierarchy or autonomy that we can actually experience freedom. But is this an accurate depiction of what it really means to be free? I want to suggest to you that it is not. That true freedom doesn't result from simply being autonomous, having no one to rule over you. I want to give you the biblical definition of freedom. To be free is to be who you were meant to be. Such as, a bird cannot be free until it takes to the sky. Or a fish cannot be free till it swims in the sea. As such, man cannot be free until he lives out that which is he is designed to do. 
Now, of course, the question is, who is man and what was he designed to do and be? As we look back upon the creation account, we discover that man is special. Unlike any other creature that was created, man was made in the image of God. Now, that doesn't mean that man was made to look like God. God is a spirit. But he was made with the same qualities of God. Holiness, righteousness, goodness, and justice. He was made in the image of God because he was made to know God and to reflect the glory of God. John 17.3 puts it this way. Now this is eternal life. Now this is freedom, if you will. That you may be knowing the one true God and his son, Jesus Christ. To be free is to be in right relationship with God where we manifest in our person all of who he is. And so Paul is addressing the question, how are we to be free? Is it through the law, following the law of Moses in this case, or is it through the grace of Jesus Christ? What is it that has the power to transform us from our broken, fallen selves into the person that we were meant to be? It has to be one or the other. And what the scriptures are telling us is that following and being under the law can only lead to slavery. But living under the law of grace leads to freedom. The wonder of the gospel is that we become free to choose to live free or to choose to live as a slave. And so we must choose freedom. I want to talk about three particular points as I unpack that concept. Number one, there are two ways to live, under law or under grace. You must choose one. Second point, there are two destinies. Each of these roads that we get on will lead to some place. Finally, number three, we have one choice to make. To not choose is to choose. So which path will you choose? The one that leads to slavery or the one that leads to freedom? Well, let's begin with my first point. There are two ways. Paul begins with the first way as he speaks to the Galatians. Tell me, Galatians, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? If you'll remember the background, Paul preached the gospel to the Galatians, the gospel of grace, and they heard and they believed. But some people came from Jerusalem who claimed to be Christians and they said, yes, it is important to follow and trust in Jesus. But if you neglect some of these laws of Moses, if you don't obey those as well, you will not be saved. It's both of those. You have to be under Christ, but also under the law. And so Paul says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? In other words, what does the law say about this? For it is written, verse 22, that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. So you've got two sons born to two different mothers. One mother was Hagar. If you remember, Abraham had, uh, Sarah was his wife. A Hagar was Sarah's maidservant. But Sarah could not get pregnant. Even though God had said uh, uh, to Abraham, that your descendants would be as much as the 
sand on the seashore and that the blessing of the world would come through the line of your descendants, Sarah could not get pregnant. And so Sarah said, take my maidservant, Hagar, and have a child through her. And thus was born Ishmael. Sarah, of course, then afterwards did conceive and had a son who was named Isaac. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. So two sons to two mothers. But these two sons were born in two different ways. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according to the promise. So these two sons were not only born to two different mothers, they were born in two different ways. The slave uh, child was born according to the flesh. Now it doesn't mean that Isaac was born according to immaculate conception. They were both born as a regular child is born. What it means to be born according to the flesh was that he was born according to the fallen nature of man. See, it was the decision of Sarah and Abraham to take matters into their own hands, right? To decide God said that he would give us a promise that there would be offspring, but it's not coming. We must have to do something. How is this going to work? I've got an idea. Sleep with my maidservant and you'll have a son. And that's the way things will work out. According to the flesh, the fallen nature, man's way and man's idea. But the son of the free woman was born according to the promise. In other words, it was born in such a way, born not naturally, but supernaturally. When Abraham was old and Sarah's womb was barren and there was no way possible that it could happen, she became pregnant and had a child. And it's through that child that the line that ultimately led to Jesus came. It was born according to the plan of God that seemed inconceivable in the minds of man in a way that they could not understand. But as the scriptures say, is anything too hard for the Lord? See, God's ways in the end are always best, aren't they? God's plan always works out. But all too often, we take the path, don't we, of Hagar, of making a decision that isn't in line with God's will and God's ways. Paul continues in verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery and she is Hagar. Now two, it says this may be interpreted allegorically. Now this is a very important uh, point that I want to make. That we should not interpret scripture allegorically unless Scripture tells us to interpret Scripture allegorically. You should read and interpret Scripture according to the plain intended meaning of the Scripture. But in this case, Paul is looking back and he is an apostle who's been given God's Word and he's explaining mysteries that we don't understand. There was one child that was born according to the covenants uh, uh, for these women are two covenants. Now we might think as we hear these two covenants, yeah, I get this, the Old Testament and the New Testament. But he's not speaking about that. He's speaking of a covenant of works and a covenant of grace. A covenant of trying and a covenant of trusting. Now we all know in Mount Sinai that the Ten Commandments were given. 
And yet these commandments, trying to follow them, have borne children for slavery. Well, how can that be? If God gave the Ten Commandments and said, follow them, shouldn't that be part of God's plan for salvation? No, the law was given to reveal the heart of man. Because what was the response of the Israelites when they heard these Ten Commandments? That you are to only have one God. That you shall not worship an idol or anything else. They should have realized there's no way that we can do this. God, help us. But instead they said, all the words which the Lord has spoken we will do. In other words, we got this. We can do this. When the reality is, they did not see their need for grace. And so, like Hagar and Abraham, the Israelites depended on their own resources. Paul brings it to that present time. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. In other words, Galatians, all you have to do is look over there at Jerusalem. Those who are trying to become righteous by following all the commands of the law, the ones in the Bible and the ones that they have made up, they've created this system, if you will, by which they can call themselves righteous. And instead of being free, they are in slavery with their children because all the law has the power to do in the end is to condemn. It doesn't have the power to change us from the inside out. It doesn't have the power to give us freedom to be who we were meant to be, to live in the way that we were meant to live. In fact, the law itself incites us to sin and disobey even more. Just like when you as a child got a command from your parent that said, don't do this, and you immediately went and did it. Because nobody will rule over me. He's saying, following this way of being under the law ultimately leads to slavery. But there's another way, isn't it? Now, Hagar is in slavery. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Paul is saying there's another city, a city that represents the dwelling place of God. And those who are citizens of that land and that city are free. Life and freedom flows from God. And those who live under this covenant of grace experience fellowship with God. And God is moving in their lives and transforming them. As Romans 8, 1 put, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the Mosaic law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by my fleshly nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. In other words, Galatians, you who heard the gospel and believed, you don't belong to this earthly city anymore. Not the gospel of trying to ascend to heaven by your own efforts. You're already in the heavenly city because of the grace of Jesus Christ. See, there are two paths, the path of the law or the path of the gospel. The path of the law is the path of Ishmael. It's a religion that's natural of what man can do by himself without any special intervention of God. 
But the religion of Isaac is a religion of grace, of what God has done and does, a religion of divine initiative and divine intervention. As I was thinking of how to illustrate this, I thought of a time in my life when I made the mistake of running a marathon while I had mono. When you are young, you have much hubris. And even one who is not a doctor knows this is a bad idea. The point was I did not know I had mono when I ran the marathon. I was trying to train for the marathon, which is 26 miles, and I kept on getting sick. So I'd never run further than like 10 or 11 miles. But I was a second year in college. And you're invincible when you are a second year in college, are you not? And so I said, I'm going to go out just to spite my body, to spite the gods. I will go and I will run. And I ran it. And there was much rejoicing for a very small period of time. For afterwards, it was Thanksgiving break. I went uh, home uh, to see uh, my girlfriend's home, Lee Ellen, Bristol at the time and promptly collapsed when I walked into the home. I was so sick. In fact, I would be sick for the next year. But I literally could not get out of bed. And it was my opportunity to present myself to her family, to be, uh, you know, jovial and whatever. And, you know, it was like the death watch was happening uh, in this bedroom. Despite my best efforts, I couldn't get up. I started the race, but didn't really have the power to finish it. Thank goodness for my wife, because she showed grace to me. She came alongside me and helped me and cared for me. And over that year, actually took a big part in helping to nurse me back to health. And so I married her. <laughs> See, we may not be Jewish, but the temptation to live under a system of law is present. Could be any law, any system of rules that we put in place to justify ourselves. Whether it's success in this world, that's what it means to ascend, to make a name for yourself, to justify yourself before the sight of God. And so we work and we work and we work, but in the end, we all weaken, do we not? We all fall short. We all die. Maybe it's your reputation. This is my law. What people think of me. And so I work hard to be everything to everybody and to have a great reputation because it's by that that I will be justified before God. But that's not, that's the religion of the slave. You know that Christianity can even be made into a religion? Christianity can even be made into legalism. All we do is make sure we show up to church on time, we tithe, we are a volunteer in the nursery, we check all of the boxes, and whatever that thing is with Jesus and his cross, we kind of put that over here, because really it's all about me being a good church person. In the end, it may look good, or it may look bad, but it leads to slavery. Because there are not three ways or 50 ways. There are only two. The religion of the law, trying, or the religion of gospel, trusting. 
Acts 4.12 put it this way. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Paul is saying to the Galatians, and I am saying to you, you can't straddle the fence. You can't have both. You can't have a little bit of trusting and a little bit of trying. Either Jesus has saved us or he's not. Either we're righteous in the sight of God through the blood of the cross or we're not. It's one or the other. Two choices that lead to two destinies. My second point. Verse 27, For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Paul is quoting Isaiah 54, in which Isaiah prophesies to the exiles the Jews who have been sent to Babylon, deported, and are living as slaves in the land of Babylon. And he's saying to them that even though you are in exile and in slavery, you will be set free. You will be sent back to Jerusalem. You will be fruitful again and flourish. But Paul twists this on his head, on its head, and he calls them as two children, the children of the husband and the desolate one, excuse me, the wife, yeah, the children of the husband, and the desolate one who has no husband, who is not in labor. It should be the children of the husband, the wife who is married to the husband, who is established and married in all in place, that is fruitful and bears fruit. But Paul is saying, no, no. It's the barren one. It's the one who is in slavery who will be set free. That is the one who will flourish, not the other one. Paul continues, Now you, Christians, like Isaac, are children of the promise. He's saying, this is who you are, church. You were born, you were the desolate one, in slavery, and born in a way that no one could understand that God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to an obscure little place in Jerusalem who lived and rescued his people by dying on the cross. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. You were barren, but you have been supernaturally born. Galatians 3 puts it this way. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. See, there's no destiny for those who follow the law. Living obediently and trying to justify yourself by living a religious good life will end in death. But it's those who trust in the Galilean Savior, those who put their hope in one who died and was resurrected, those are the ones who are heirs according to the promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. Now this is really important. I want you to hear me on this. What he's talking about, if you'll remember, uh, Hagar had Ishmael and he was born, the child of the flesh. And Ishmael grew up and it was actually 14 years until the son of the promise was born. 
And when Isaac was three and they were having a ceremony for him, the slave child Ishmael mocked Isaac. And Sarah went all nuclear mom and said, "Uh uh-uh, not going to happen, and sent away Ishmael and Hagar. See, it was the half-brother of Isaac who was persecuting him. And Paul is saying, so also it is now. These people who are claiming to be Christians, your half-brothers, are coming to you and they're saying that your faith in Jesus Christ is not enough. You've got to work. You've got to put your shoulder to the wheel or you're not going to make it. It's foolish to trust in the grace of Jesus Christ. It'll lead to death. That's the way it happened then and that's the way it happens now. You see, if we are like Isaac, we must expect to be treated as Isaac was treated. Are there not people that come to you and say this whole thing about following Jesus, about trusting in Him, about putting all your eggs in one basket, about saying that you are enough in Jesus Christ. It's not going to work. You've got to do this and this and this and this. You're, you're trusting in foolishness. But what does the Scripture say, verse 30? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Only one in the end will inherit. And in fact, the Greek puts it this way. Cast out the slave woman, for she will by no means, excuse me, he will, the son, will by no means inherit the promise. The law and the gospel cannot coexist. The era of the law is one of slavery to sin. But freedom and life will only come through Christ and the Jerusalem that is above. And so what is Paul's command to us? Cast out. Cast out. Do not listen to. Do not follow. Do not let yourself be influenced by those who would say to put your confidence in anyone other than Jesus Christ. We all stand on something or someone. We all base our worth It's foolish to believe that freedom is autonomy because everybody worships something. Everybody worships something. Everybody has a God and every God has a price. Jesus is the only master who can truly set us free. So brothers, we are not children of the slave but of the free woman. Our real life is not like Ishmael's simply owing to the work of man. Our real life is owing to the work of God in us, fulfilling His promise to make for Himself a people. I think that's why I keep Playmobil Martin Luther close. Because Playmobil Martin Luther, or let's just call him Martin Luther, lived by the law. Martin was smart enough to know that I don't have what it takes to stand before God at the end of my life and say, you owe me. And so he worked and he worked and he slaved and he followed all the law as best as he could and became more and more desperate because all the law can do is tell you how you don't measure up. And then he heard the gospel of grace. 
but a righteousness apart from the law is found from those who have faith in Jesus Christ. The only problem was everybody around Martin Luther was saying different. But one day, Martin Luther realized, I either have to stand firm or I won't stand at all. And so he took his hammer and he took his nail and he took his paper and he went to that chapel and he stood on Jesus Christ by saying, I stand on him alone, so help me God. And for the rest of his life, he was pretty much on the run. But what did he do? He cast out the slave woman. His life is an example to us. We have to decide what we will stand on in this life. My accomplishments or God's. It's a choice of every single one of us. It was the choice for the church in Galatia. It was the choice for us. And so as the scripture finishes in Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back. Don't go back to depending on anything other than Jesus Christ. Your friends may tell you different. The TV will tell you different. Satan will tell you different. You've got to decide. Because we are free to choose to live free or to choose to live as a slave. Choose freedom. Salvation is through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Let us, Redeemer, stand firm. And do not return again to the yoke of slavery. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that our standing and our status is not on our own efforts and abilities and accomplishments. For we all fall short. That does not lead to freedom. We cannot be who we were meant to be. For we need your Holy Spirit to empower us. We need your grace to make us alive and put love in our hearts that we might walk after you. God, let us stand firm on Christ alone, through grace alone. And let us walk in the freedom that you've given us in this life right now as we show to an unbelieving world what it means to truly be set free. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.